think we're just about ready to get started. Okay. Let me just move this here. All right. All right, everybody. Hello, I'm Jason. I'm Laura. And welcome to Come Back a Star, a movie award. I'm going to do that again because we got a big sound from, I think, my computer or my phone. Uh, it sounded like a kind of a computer sound. All right. Okay. <clears throat> Hello, I'm Jason. I'm Laura. And welcome to Come Back a Star, a movie award diplomatic incident. Incident or gripping thriller? Uh, we're watching every Best Picture winner and nominee from 1927 onwards. And this episode is, of course, the 14th episode we have, Disraeli. Disraeli. Directed by, I believe it's, I almost said the, uh, yeah, Alfred E. Green. That's, no, that's not the name of the Mad uh, Magazine. That's Alfred E. Newton or something, right? I guess so. There's a Mad Magazine right behind you if you wanted to check. Um <laughs> I'm not going to get that much into it, so I'll just let the, I'll just let the internet make fun of me for getting the name wrong. All right, that's all right. That's all right. Uh, so yeah, this one is going to be a little bit difficult for me to review because I don't like Benjamin Disraeli the person. Just going to start out with that right out front. Yeah, he has he has admirable attributes, but he's also like responsible for the British empire and imperialism is, is morally wrong. It's that's true, <laughs> which makes it, which makes this movie a little bit difficult. Uh, you need to like kind of separate that. I guess it's very pro knowledge from, yeah, it's very pro Disraeli. This is written by a bunch of Disraeli fanboys, I think. So mm -hmm. it's a, uh, it was definitely a trial for you, huh? And yeah, it was, uh, it was very pro, British Empire. Yeah. Yeah. In a in a big way. Which Expansionism is was kind of like the order of the day. Everyone was really excited about it. And that's what was going to make uh, Britain great again. Yep. Basically. Um, huh. The historical Ugh. lens. We look at these things. It's going to it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a bumpy ride. But the movie itself, uh, putting aside uh, moral implications, not bad, I don't think. How do you yeah. want to do this? Should I jump right into the summary and then you give the historical context, or do uh, you want to do it the yeah. other? Yeah. How about um, hmm? How about we do the movie first, and then maybe I'll try to review what happened. Actually, you'll be surprised that the movie does not portray the exact events as they happened. What? <laughs> I'm heartbroken. Okay. Well, the movie as it is though not historically accurate, is uh, takes us to Britain. It's 1874, and ambitious Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli, played in an Oscar-winning turn by George Arliss, is determined to buy the Suez Canal and thus cement Britain as the world's leading empire. Yet he meets with conflict from the start, first from the Bank of England, represented by the prejudiced Michael Probert, who refuses to lend the necessary funds. Second, Russia also has its eyes on India and the canal and hires spies uh, Mrs. Taver Travers to keep a close eye on Disraeli. Yeah, he starts off uh, with some other imperialistic vote going on that gets defeated in the commons after a speech. With a cameo by uh, Gladstone. Yes, uh, his his prime rival throughout all of uh, his career. Mr. Gladstone. It's yeah, it's interesting. He only appears once. 
mm-hmm. you figure he'd be the main heavy, but instead, uh, this Mrs. Travers, uh, kind of serves really as his principal foil, which is, you know, I'm going to say it's a big plus for this movie. It has a really surprisingly robust female cast. Like, yeah, it does. Who aren't just there to be decorative, but actually have, Roles. Uh, like, yeah, roles and opinions and are encouraged to speak their mind. So that was that was nice. That was refreshing, a refreshing pace. Yeah, it was. And I think that the main character uh, interacts with them well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, however, Disraeli is prepared for both these attacks. He reaches out to prominent Jewish banker Hugh Myers for the funds and leads Mrs. Travers on with false information. Oh, yeah, that's right. So he first approaches the bank and gets refused but has already kind of arranged to contact Hugh Myers. Yeah, he kind of figured that their response would be no. So he decides to, as he puts it, go to Moses, i.e. Uh, Hugh Myers, who is a very prominent banker with a really good reputation, who uh, in my little historical uh, research was apparently uh, supposed to be another real life uh, banker at that time, whose name I can't remember, uh, who, but, his family was like, oh, no, 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 I, we don't want to be involved in this movie because there's a certain point in the movie where he, he Myers character doesn't look bad, but something bad kind of happens to him. And they don't want that to be associated with them, even in fiction, which is kind of hilarious and stupid. Yeah, uh, the real character oh, character, the real person's <laughs> name is Lionel de Rothschild. That's right. That's right. Whom I have heard of, I think. So you think I would have remembered the name. But, you know, like a little sieve is my mind. Nation <laughs> comes in and only like odd, the odd trivia of an obscure old movie sticks in. Hey, that's that's what we need. Meanwhile, he is also playing matchmaker for stuffy young Lord Charles Deford and beautiful Disraeli supporter Lady Clarissa Pavenzi. Um, Charles Deford, uh, he's... Actually, I think pretty charmingly played by this guy named uh, Anthony Bushel, who was a a character actor or kind of became a character actor. He really, I think, does a good job of portraying like a stuffy British guy, but like not taking it too seriously, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, not being a joke either. I really liked his performance. Yeah, he's in it enough. Yeah, it was a little uh, to me seemed like a little bit of a melodrama throughout. And he definitely kind of filled that role and being very, I'm not going to say overacting, but it it was just kind of fit the t- it fit the tone. Yeah, he's definitely kind of supposed to be the straight man to Disraeli, who is supposed, you know, kind of almost like a Sherlock Holmes type. He's always, you know, 10 steps ahead of everybody else and very sly sense of humor. And he and this Charles Deerford is just this kind of almost Dr. Watson-esque sort of mm. uh almost bumbling, but still has a certain dignity. Um, but really, the one who surprised me was uh, Lady Clarissa Pavensi. She's probably the most, the actress who plays her is probably the most famous uh, name today, uh, Joan Bennett. She went on to be very big in the 30s um, and then had a comeback in my favorite uh, soap opera, Dark Shadows in the 60s. Uh, yeah. She, uh, she uh, played the matriarch. Uh, I did not recognize her. She does... You know, she's beautiful in this, like beautifully made up, but she doesn't really get a chance to uh, it's it's an odd role for her since she kind of became known more to be sort of the contemporary 
type of actress. So it was odd seeing her in a period role. She's not bad. She's just not very looking at her. You'd think, oh, wow, she's really pretty. But you wouldn't think she might go on to have like a really big career. Yeah. But Clarissa turns down Charles's emotional proposal of emotionless proposal of marriage. And Israeli takes the young man under his wing and makes him his secretary. When Charles's inability to play dumb makes it clear to Mrs. Travers, Travers associate that Myers is going to pay for the canal. Mrs. Travers feels she has the upper hand. Right. So Disraeli lets Charles in on the whole purchase of the Suez Canal. And Mr. Travers, it's, well, I think I gave it away. Who Who is the secretary to Disraeli? Well. The one who is actually secretly a spy. Yeah, there's the a lot of machinations. There's a lot of machinations here because Charles becomes the secretary, but I assume being prime minister, there are a bunch of secretaries running around down right, the street. Right. So I think it's just like he's like a secondary secretary or someone who keeps appointments or something like yeah. that. And he is actually Mrs. Travers' husband and also a Russian spy. And he is the one that kind of uncovers from the let's say inept at duplicity Charles. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't that, say anything. that it's the Suez Canal. Yeah, exactly. He says, uh, Hey, what is, what is this really meeting with, uh, with, uh, Hugh Myers for? And is uh, it the Suez Canal? No. And to, to which Charles, and Charles just like stands whips up, whips like, around and stands up like all like white faced, like doesn't say <laughs> a word, like just like Israeli instructs him. Don't say a word about the Suez Canal. But the reaction kind of reveals everything. Oh, poor Charles. He's he's in the process of learning. He's it's a learning curve. You know, we, we all got to go a little easy on poor Charles Deerford. Um, yet Disraeli sends Charles to Cairo with Meyer's check anyways and invites Mrs. Travers and Clarissa to his home. Clarissa, because she's heartbroken that Charles is now gone and Mrs. Travers because he wants to keep an eye on her. Disraeli is momentarily thrown off when Myers comes to him with news he is now bankrupt. And that apparently is what uh, Rothschild's family did not want to have not portrayed paid. because that didn't really happen right. and uh, didn't want, you know, I guess they were still a big banking family at that time and didn't want any kind of rumor of uh, financial ruin, even if it was something that happened at this point, like what, 40 years before to get back to their family. So yeah, kinda, I can I can see the logic in that. I guess, but it's, I, I mean, it works out, I guess. Um, but uh, hearing this news, of course, uh, Disraeli is at first, you know, in a panic, but he quickly improvises. When Mrs. Travers comes in, he convinces her he is ill and takes advantage of his supposed weakness. And taking advantage of his supposed weakness, she lets her guard down and steals a telegram from his table. He steals it back and reveals he knows her true motives. She does not deny it and says she was the one responsible for bankrupting Myers, which, you know, we never know the find out the details for. Yeah, we don't know the details of the machinations. Uh, From what I remember, he was shipping all of the money across seas, which I didn't, Maybe back then that's how banking worked, but ah yes. Uh, so he was going to be pulling funds, and f- I believe from South America, and something sunk the boat, and he can't collect the insurance until that's right. until it's too late. And yeah, yep. <laughs> so there, there we go. We don't need to know any more than that. 
Uh, so it looks pretty dire for old Israeli, but don't you worry. He is also sent for Probert on the pretense he is ill. And when Probert arrives, he ambushes him with the news that England's reputation is at stake if he does not give Myers unlimited credit. And more importantly to Mr. Probert, the Israeli threatens to crush the Bank of England if he does not comply. Outfoxed, Probert complies, and Mrs. Travers takes her defeat in style. And a little more research I read said that if he had made such a threat, he totally could not have actually yeah, done that. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking while we were watching it. Yeah, actually, maybe you were the one who pointed it out to me. But uh, uh, it was enough to throw old bigoted Mr. Probert, who makes a big deal throughout that he does not trust these Jewish men. So I was glad. Mm-hmm. I was glad to see him uh, get taken down a peg or two. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, I mean, I do like the kind of progressive touches of, you know, the fact that the Jewish identity of Disraeli and Myers is not like ignored, but it's not. But they're like treated like real good human characters and the prejudice to them is portrayed as ugly as it should be. Right, right. They did a good job with that. Yeah, it was progressive in a lot of ways that and the bigger female cast. Um. So the canal is bought. Hooray, hooray. And Queen Victoria is made Empress of India. Hooray, hooray. Uh, (laughs) And she throws a reception in Disraeli's honor. Although this should be a bright occasion for Disraeli, he is tormented because his beloved wife, Mary, played by George Arliss's real wife, uh, Florence Arliss, which I think is pretty sweet, is ill and is seriously ill and unable to attend. However, at the last minute, she does arrive, and the two go to meet their queen arm in arm. Aww. Yeah, it's a... I like this movie. It's... But it certainly does have its issues, and you want to... And I think that lies mostly with a historical uh, take on it. Let's talk about the whole historical context (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) Just real quick now. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, just, just, just really quick. Um... So the Suez Canal was opened in 1869, uh, so shortly before this, and it was mostly owned by the uh, French, actually, by French interests. Okay. And was also owned partly by the Khedive of Egypt. And just to kind of give the context about the Ottoman Empire and everything like that, the Ottoman Empire, modern-day Turkey, basically, was collapsing. Russia was very eagerly trying to find ways to use that newly available or what they felt was <laughs> newly, newly available uh, land to take. Uh, that's how you get the whole Crimea war, I believe. God, don't don't quote of, me on this, but this is kind of what I'm remembering from so European many history. Wars packed into this time that we just don't even think about these days. Cause I mean, I'm sure they pale in comparison to like world war one, but sure, right. you know, they're still, I'm sure they probably didn't pale in comparison to the people actually living through them. Right. And what would be great if Russia had the Suez canal is that 80% of the ships using the canal were British and if they controlled the Suez Canal, A, they could kind of restrict British naval power, for one. And for two, then they would have access to India, whereas Britain would have to sail all the way around uh, Africa mm-hmm. without the Suez Canal. Uh, now, Britain was already in India, and the Suez Canal basically just let them steal from India faster. Mm-hmm. Um 
And so that's why Disraeli noticed uh, the Khedive of Egypt was the one who was losing money uh, for this. He was just spending it too much. Um, they do make that clear in the movie. And I wasn't sure if that was just pro-British sentiment. Oh, this guy didn't know what he was doing. So who cares anyways? But so that's true. He did kind of overspend. Right. Uh, and Disraeli kind of got the attention of of this because with <laughs> it was possible that the French interests would start increasing their tolls on the Suez Canal, which would be bad for Britain. So instead, like the movie, um, Disraeli buys uh, controlling interests. And uh, also he collaborated with, I guess, a liberal MP named Nathan Rothschild, not a De Rothschild, but Nathan Rothschild. Uh, A Rothschild, not D Rothschild. Right. (laughs) Not the Rothschild. Uh, yeah, so that's how he sends him to Paris to see if he can buy from the French okay. the Suez Canal shares. And instead, he ends up buying them from Egypt through the whole means that we were talking about. And in order to celebrate having the Suez Canal, which, by the way, is not part of India... Uh, it just, again, it just lets them steal stuff more quickly. Yeah, see, that's what really confused me. It's like, I know it's in, it's in Egypt, right? Right. And I'm like, why do they keep talking about India? And I assumed it had something to do with the access, but yeah, so it was just all about stealing from India, huh? Yeah, more quickly. <sighs> they already were. <laughs> oh, history but is terrible. Not just stealing from India, but stealing India because this makes Victoria Empress of India. Oh, yeah, that's the ultimate thing, which she likes very much and cements her friendship with Israeli. Oh, yeah. She, for what I know of Queen Victoria, if you were her prime minister, flatter her and give her nice titles and you were you were good. Try to push yeah. back on her and you were not good. Try to do crazy things like not get involved in the Sudan like Gladstone did. Uh, <laughs> how terrible. How terrible that he didn't get involved in some war that wasn't at all She was England's not business. amused. She was not amused. No, not at all. But anyway, that's a historical uh, background to this movie. Um, we've gone through it pretty quickly. The We'll get more into the performances and things like that, I think, right. during the rating. Yeah. Uh, the it's kind of a spy thriller and i feel like the historical context was almost it was maybe a little bit more involved it wasn't just context but you got the the interest or at least what hooked me into the movie was this more interpersonal relationships and also kind of the the machinations. Right. It was like a very domesticated spy thriller. Like, yeah. you know, there was no intense action scenes or anything. Most no. of the action takes place in Disraeli's home mm-hmm. where, with his uh, with his wife and uh, Lady Clarissa and these women around. And which, again, is pretty cool. It definitely gives the impression of how uh, these genteel British people were able to do these immense, uh, you know, world shattering things from like Mm -hmm. the comfort of their drawing room and their pretty rose garden. 
And oh, yeah. It's, you know, chilling, but it's presented in a very chipper, upbeat sort of way. Yeah. Yeah. We get to see wealthy people determine the fate of the world. Yeah. <laughs> Little has changed. Nope. Uh, <laughs> shall we get into the rating? Yeah, let's just dive right in. All right. We're going, we're moving along at a good clip in this episode for... You know, you expect something about Disraeli buying the Suez Canal to be a lot denser, but I think the movie does a good job of not overwhelming people, Yeah, yeah. the audience. There's not a lot, I mean, I got a little lost sometimes, but I think a lot of that had to do with the sound, but I'll get into that during our technical category. All right, all right. So starting off, we have the category of Acting. Uh, How are the actors? I love the actors. I thought they were all really good. I think I'll give it a nine. Oh, you'll give it a nine. I think so. I mean, Arliss was just, I think, really charming. Um, He looked like Disraeli, definitely, um, from pictures Mm -hmm. I've seen. And just had like... Which is absolutely ridiculous, Absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. But, you know, he owned it. And I think he had that little, like, kind of twinkle in his eye. And uh, even in his big hammy moment, when he finds out that Myers is bankrupt, when he's, like, basically shaking his fists to the sky and everything, he keeps it in a weird, like... Good balance of like kind of light because and like just I think he would have made a really good Sherlock Holmes is what I'm saying. (laughs) I would agree with you. I'm going to I'm going to give it an eight because I'm not a huge fan of of melodrama, but that is the style that they had. And yeah, and they did it very well. They did do it very well. And I I like again, I really like uh, his complimentary performance in uh, Bushel as uh, as Charles. Um, Florence Arliss is kind of drippy and daffy as uh, Mary, but it works somehow because I've guessed yeah. Mary, I guess Mary Disraeli was quite a bit older than uh, Benjamin Disraeli. And she does kind of give that impression of just being right. a little bit ding dong. Hello. Uh, I don't think it's Bennett's best performance. You'll see her again as Amy in Little Women. In a couple years where I think she's a lot, you get to see a lot more of her personality, but she's, I mean, she's good. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. She accomplishes the role. And of course the guy playing Charles, uh, we kind of skipped over the whole marriage proposal thing, which was, it was funny. I mean, it was funny. The, I mean, the whole point is I, I guess, you know, Clarissa is basically a Disraeli fangirl and uh, Disraeli has his eyes set on, Charles Deerford, he sees something in him uh, that he thinks can be uh, turned into a good supporter of his. But Charles is kind of indifferent to Disraeli at this point. And when he tries to propose to Clarissa, you know, it's of the the stereotypical British man of like, uh, like your duty is in a home with uh, raising my children in a very uh, uh, Christian sort of way. And she's just very turned off by that and tells him in no uncertain terms that that's not a good proposal. And so just really kind of says, you got to loosen up, son, and takes him under his wing. And they end up becoming great pals. And then he disappears. Like when he goes to Kyron, we never really see him till the very end. And that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I thought I thought he he again, it's a melodrama style. And actually, I remember you telling me this wasn't this a silent movie originally. It was actually um in 1921, they made a version with George Arliss and Florence Arliss because uh, this was based on a play. So it's just like kind of, yeah, it was just a remake set like 10 years later. 
uh, they remade it for sound. So it would be interesting to see the silent version. Yeah, it would be. And it also kind of falls a line in line with that aesthetic that you saw in a lot of the the silent movies of just this very big acting. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like that carried over, but it carried over a lot better than some of these other early talkies that we've seen. I agree. And I think a lot of that does come down to the acting. I think mm-hmm. uh, Arliss and everybody else was just able to rein it in a little bit more. There were still some like kind of hammy theatrics, but I feel like when you can do that well, you can get away with it. Yeah. And I was going to say Charles Deford, uh, that character was portrayed in a way where you found him laughable. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like that's that's exactly how, how you kind of feel. You're supposed, about, you're supposed to, to feel yeah, about him. Yeah. So it was like it was kind of a knowing thing, so, mm-hmm. which, which is nice. All right. So you give it a nine for acting. I give it an eight. How about the writing for this play? I thought it was very good. Uh, like I said, they didn't overwhelm us with too much uh, backstory. They let the story kind of tell itself, which mm-hmm. I like. Um, there were a few dropped threads like Charles disappearing to Cairo and not really coming to check in with him much. But uh, Yeah, we get to learn about him through Telegram, basically. Yeah. Getting sent back. And that's clearly a, a play thing. Very much so, yeah. So they could keep the set and not have to build up a whole <laughs> a whole set for Cairo and cast oh, another gosh. person. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think of that, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I do think it went too far in just kind of no sort of criticism in their portrayal of Disraeli, no attempt to make him anything but this great Heroic figure. Heroic figure. A vuncular figure, too. Um, so I, you know, I wish they'd been maybe a little more critical. Um, I think it's good to have a little objectivity if you're going to do a historical piece, since it's never very black and white. Is it amazing and awesome that this Jewish man in a very deeply prejudiced society was able to rise to the highest rank and get so much done? Yes. But his big cause was imperialism, and that did have devastating consequences for India, for Egypt, for every country they touched. So it's really (laughs) hard. And I I think it's just, you know, India was still under Britain's rule at this time. And so there just was and nobody cared really to listen. Um, They they, they were hearing strange things about this Gandhi guy uh, who was was (laughs) causing some kind of trouble, but that would probably blow over. So it is frustrating from a 21st century lens. So I think I'll give it a seven. And just I'm just taking the the, the points off because it was a little maddening that it was so deeply in love with Disraeli and imperialism. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and match your seven. Um, It. It functioned well as kind of as what I was expecting from it. Uh, I was expecting something that was going to be very Mm pro-Disraeli and not very questioning of imperialism. And the telling of that story was functional as, as I was watching the movie, just pretending that I didn't know what all of this meant. I found myself liking the character of Disraeli. Yeah. I liked uh, the women around him were, well, were well written uh even the villainous mrs travers was charming yeah i like how at the end when she's caught out she's not 
you know, like scowling or like sobbing in contrition. She just kind of shrugs and does a smirk and walks off. And I kind of I think that's cool. I mean, there's no hard feelings between her and Disraeli, which I thought was neat. It's just kind yeah. of like, I see your game. You see my game. OK, we get each other. Yeah. And there's like a there's like a respect there. Yeah. And that's another you know, oddly progressive thing in this imperialist movie. Yes, right. Uh, Such a mixed bag. Is early on, Charles Deford says, oh, I do not discuss politics with women. And Disraeli just very matter-of-factly says, well, I do. And that shows a lot of value going forward for him as he does talk to his wife he about does, what's yeah. going on. Let's her in on things, has her be part of it. Like, okay, we got to convince these people I'm sick. And she does, and she, you know, she goes right into it and and does her part. Mm-hmm. Even though she kind of comes off as a bit of a flibberty gibbet, it's clear that, you know, when she needs to, she's like right on the ball. Yeah, she's not a, she's, she's not dim or anything no. like that, which is, which is nice because you, you get a lot of plays and movies about this brilliant husband and a wife who's just uh. a, a chair, basically. Basically, basically. And I was a little worried they were going to go that way with her because, again, Florence, uh, um, why am I forgetting their name all of a sudden? Arliss. Arliss, thank you. Florence Arliss, uh, you know, she does have that kind of demure sort of uh, wishy-washy look about her. But then when she gets going and the dialogue kicks in, you realize, no, there's there's more going on. Mm-hmm. All right, so double sevens from us for writing. All right. How about the cinematography? Uh, this is where I think it, you know, it wasn't awful or anything no. like that, but it was it was a film play. It was a film play. They do have a few good, like, establishing shots of um, someone uh, in the very beginning speaking out in a crowd scene against Israeli and, like, a little shot of Parliament and shots of the garden, which are nice, but... Again, uh, I think in a purposeful bid to keep everyone focused on the acting and the story, yeah, there's not really a lot of attention given to like stuff like cinematography. So I'm going to give it a five. Yeah, I think five is fair. I'm going to agree. It's uh, it's serviceable. Yeah, serviceable. That that about does it. Uh, nothing special. Yeah, nothing nothing earth shattering. All right, let's tally up what they have so far. Uh, let's see. That is. They're up to 41 so far on Disraeli. Let's see how many points it gets in the bonus round. The bonus round. <laughs> Woo. All right. Costumes and set. I think they did well here. I'm I'm going to give him a 10. I would. I loved Joan Bennett's look in this. I mean, it's ridiculous, but it works. The wig the dress and also i just have to say like the rose garden set was beautiful um they they did a really good job even with the staginess of making everything look really authentic and period and still really lovely mm-hmm. so i'm all for it i'll give i'll i'll give it the full five not ten see i remembered <laughs> at the very last minute that it's five i get it i am gonna give it five bonus points as well good, good. uh and for the very same reasons, I think that the <laughs> as ridiculous as Disraeli looks with his hair. Oh, my gosh. That big question mark like forelock. Yes, that it was absurd, but somehow it all fits together in it this does. kind of 
ridiculous melodrama. I mean, again, I'm bringing that up yeah. again and again. It's a it's a melodrama. It knows that it's a melodrama. And it has fun with it. And it ha- yeah, yeah, it's fun. I mean, it, you look at Disraeli, you know, he's going to be a character. And he is. Yeah, yeah. The actor is fantastic. Yeah, Arliss is great. I understand why he got the Oscar. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about boldness. The next bonus round category. What risks does the movie what? take that pay off? My first instinct would be to grade it low because, again, it was a very safe stance on Disraeli and imperialism. But it really did, you know, it did not shy away from the fact that Disraeli had a Jewish background, that Myers was Jewish, and that there was this prejudice that existed and worked against them. Mm -hmm. And also bringing so many women into the action. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. I think think them venturing into having these very... uh, Actual characters for women. I know that's such a low, sad bar. It is, but especially for something where you feel like they could have gotten away with it more, not including them because it was a period piece that they could just say, oh, women had even fewer rights back then. Of course they weren't around, but instead Mm -hmm. they went the opposite route. But, you know, they still did play it too safe with the imperialism stance. I think I'll give it a three. A three? Yeah. Uh, You'll be shocked to hear that I am going to match your three. I think for all the same reasons. Yeah, we really agree on this movie, I think. So I think that's why our scores are matching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like we like the movie, has a lot of good points. And then there's the theft of India. Yeah, which is great. (laughs) Yeah, it's not good. Not good. Uh, Let's see. So legacy. What what bonus points would we get for legacy and how does it influence later movies? I feel like... It is maybe one of the very first biopics It's and kind of sets a template for those. Yes, I'd say so. I'd say so. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't think it really changed the way the game was played or anything, but it might have had the unfortunate side effect of making the Oscars give undue attention to like historical pieces, which has kind of dogged the academy ever since i think and made Mm. them choose movies that really didn't deserve it king's speech (laughs) um so i think i'll get i hate to do it i think i'll give it another three another three yeah i think i think a three three bonus points is probably pretty good because i do feel i mean it's not it's not exactly like a biopic that we would see later in the 20th century, uh, which would have, you know, really covered a lot more about Disraeli's rise and mm-hmm. all this stuff. More more biography, not not so much focused on this one this incident. This one incident, which I think is cool. I'm glad they did it that way. Mm-hmm. It's always, I think, a good idea to keep something focused. Like, I'm a big fan of Spielberg's Lincoln, which was focused on uh, Lincoln trying to... Uh, get the slavery to the slavery to get the amendment to end slavery passed. And I think focusing on that still allowed us to like know all the characters, but it didn't have to be this big. And now I'm going through this phase of my life. Now I'm going through this. You just got to see him in action and and it was good. I think that was a good Having it a little bit focused is, is good. All right. Uh, Next category for bonus points is longevity. How well does this movie stand up over time? I mean, I think people would be put off at first just because 
it is still so, you know, such early days for sound. There's no like real background soundtrack. It looks and feels old. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you need kind of a patient audience to really admire it. So I don't, I think I'll give it a two. Yeah, I think it was a lot. Hmm. It was a lot more engaging than I thought it was going to be. Right. Just just looking at the poster for it, you know, and it featuring Disraeli with this ridiculous forelock <laughs> and and just kind of the way he was made up and everything like that. I I gave, you know, a very su- supreme eye roll to, right. to this going into it because I was expecting something very antiquated and old fashioned. And, and it is, but it, it felt like a silent movie brought into sound in yes. a fairly seamless way. I agree. I agree. And I don't know if that really earns it a lot of longevity, but you, it, yeah. it has more longevity points than I think I was expecting. The thing is you have to stick with it to see its merits. And I don't know if many people would be willing to stick with it. Like if this were on Turner classic movies and you were just flipping through, if you caught it at the very beginning, I think you might switch change channels and not get to see all the good things about it. So uh, I do wish it had been filmed with a little more excitement and maybe waited a few years until there was more of a grasp on how to film things effectively with sound. But nah, I think it's a good solid flick. Yeah. And now for technical, our last chance for bonus points. And I think this is probably a weak point for it. Yeah, definitely for me. The sound was kind of muffled. And I think the hindrances of sound did make it even more stage bound than it would have been even being like a filmed play, like you said. Mm -hmm. I I don't think I am going to give him any bonus points here. I mean, it was I mean, it wasn't terrible. It just didn't merit any for me. I'm going to give them one for basically for not being worse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it it wasn't the worst sound that we've come across. No, just wasn't as good like as, for example, like the divorcee. I yeah. don't think it, I don't think it was as good or, or even, you know, Love Parade, which was a big leap, I think, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, of musicals. This wasn't a musical, so it didn't have that pressure on it, but. You know, Disraeli gives a lot of speeches, and I felt like it could have been better amplified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, given that he's talking, and that's the whole thing we're here for. Yep. Uh, I'm honestly wondering how the heck they were able to portray a dis- character like Disraeli in a silent film. I feel like you need the words. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. We should probably check that out at, yeah. at all that extra time we have yep, for watching just- extra movies. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... Disraeli's total score is 68. 68. That's not too bad. Which puts it one point ahead of the circus. Now, remember, technical category. That's true. Although I just gave it a zero. What did you give it again? One. So uh, it's, I'd say it's, so about it's, e- it's about equal with the circus. I'd say circus is better artistically. This has definitely has the more coherent plot. Um I'd say about the same level acting wise. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's about, I mean, you win some, you lose some, you know, with a circus, you don't get uh, the exciting plot and intrigue. And in uh, Disraeli, you don't get the kind of artistic flourish that Chaplin 
Mm -hmm. Pat gave uh, the circus. So, oh, you know what? Mm. We missed an entire category. Oh no! Which one? Overall. Overall. Oh gosh! This is this is its chance. This is its chance. Its chance to redeem itself. Okay. I mean, so how well do the acting, writing, and cinematography work together to make an overall product? I'll say seven. Seven? Yeah, I, I'm tempted to be kinder, but um, you know what? I I don't feel like the British Empire really needs a whole lot of my kindness. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's uh, that sounds accurate. Um, let me see. Overall, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a seven as well. I think that's that's fair. And added to its it's incorrect score of 68. It's going to be way above poor circus. Yeah, which is probably not fair. But um, now Charlie Chaplin as Disraeli. I would watch that. That would be an interesting movie for sure. That puts it just below The Divorcee. I liked this better than The Divorcee, I have to say. Mm hmm. Um, I think what we gave higher points in in a big way was the cinematography for the divorce. Yeah, I think the divorcee was just more cinematic. And I think that does count when you're doing a movie. I felt like they could have made more of an effort to make this a little more exciting visually, even with the good sets and costumes. Mm -hmm. So I, th mm -hmm. I think it's I think that's fair. Um, but do you nominate it for the Notsker, sir? I'm going to go ahead and nominate this for the Notsker as much as it pains me because it is named after one of my most hated characters in history. Um, well, who knows? Maybe we'll have a Gladstone picture sometime. Uh, maybe, but he was also problematic. <laughs> yeah, all these white British dudes were. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll nominate it for the Notsker as well. I liked it. I have to say, I think, and I think a lot of that. Uh, has to do with George Arliss. Um, I think he really carried the movie. He was really charming, fun guy on the screen. And uh, and because I think he was actually married to his Mary, he really, I think, uh, sold the kind of romantic core of his character and their relationship. Yeah. I'm always a sucker for like a really good marriage on screen. Um, like, I don't really like the right stuff, but I'll watch it a million times for the portrayal of... Uh, John and Annie Glenn, just because that is such a sweet portrayal of marriage. And I think it's something that is often neglected in movies, just how wonderful a marriage can be. So good for you, Disraeli. Yeah, good job. Congratulations on being nominated for the Notsker, a movie award podcast movie award. I know that you were really crossing your fingers for it and holding your breath. I mean, Empress of India is one thing, but a Notsker nomination, that puts you just way above yeah if you divorce it from the whole imperialism thing it's a great flick exactly uh that's just most movies really you just have this <laughs> huge glaring thing it's pretty good. there's this one thing that's really big and also it had a lot of good progressive parts too yeah role, role of women and support for for jewish people and yeah i, I think, mean like many things in life it's not black and white i mean the movie is because it's old <laughs> But the moral implications, they're black and white, not black and white. There. I talk words good. <laughs> well, I guess we must be getting a little bit tired here. What? Uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> 
All right. So that's going to be our episode for today. You can catch us on Twitter at ComebackAStar. You can email us if you'd like at ComebackAStarPodcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page that one extra person has joined at this point. Yay! Welcome I'm aboard. sorry for the lack of content. It's there, though. Uh, I want to give a shout out and a very special thanks to Pontifax, who yes. aired a demo or not a demo, a promo for us at the start of their most recent episode. And the other podcasts, a shout out that I want to give is uh, for the Rex Factor that has a fantastic series on Queen Victoria. If you want to learn more about that era. Yeah, I listened to it and it was definitely eye opening. It was excellent. And also they are kind of the the OG for right. for all these podcasts rating other things. Yeah. Um you found a niche and I we like it. <laughs> and uh I'm gonna do something maybe a little bit different. I also want to recommend that everyone take some time and find some local podcasts. Yeah. And give them a listen because recently found one called Crossing Division about our, our little hometown of Tacoma, Washington. Oh, cool. And about listen. they recently uncovered or just broke the news about a pay to play deal with a local newspaper selling endorsements oh, to goodness. political candidates. <laughs> Yay, Tacoma. Uh, really good reporting there. And it's great that, you know, you can have an independent press with this with this media, with this medium of, of podcasting. Yeah. And if you live in a decently sized city, you probably have one of your own that you can check out. You probably have a few. So check it out, won't you? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, curtains down, projector off. Ooh. See you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.